those in the children's and toddler's churches, they can be dismissed. The rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 3. And I'd like us to read a few verses and then get some context here. And, of course, we understand that Scripture has only one application and uh, yet, before we uh, do that, uh, we would like to do this every Memorial Day. I, I do not know how many people we have here that have served uh, in, in our country's armed services in American military. But if you have served, uh, would you please stand just for a moment for those. I know Fred is our usher today. He was in. And uh, let's see here. Nomas Frida and who? Okay, uh, very, very few this morning, but we want to thank those for their service. And uh, we often, as we read the history books, we read the stories of the great generals. Um, Hannah's with a group from Heartland. They're in the Philippines right now. In fact, they'll be coming back, uh, I think, Tuesday. I, I still get this time thing all messed up because it's already tomorrow over there. Uh, but uh, she sent me a picture standing beside the uh, sta- excuse me, uh, the statue of General MacArthur. And uh, I'm sorry. It just gets to me. We spent a little time yesterday uh, just walking around the uh, ship there in New York Harbor in for Fleet Week and meeting the young servicemen and in all the uniforms. And, oh yeah, there were people that were just looking for the party and looking for the other things. But I, I just think about all different walks of life. And uh, one of the things that hit me, I walked up and asked a one of the uh, Marines there about the piece of uh, artillery that he was uh, uh, working with. And no sooner had it gotten out of my mouth than my son Stephen came up behind me asked the exact same question. And, and I'm, all of a sudden it hit me, how many times has this guy heard this same dumb question? I mean, what difference does it make to me how far this thing shoots? Uh, I'm never going to be pulling the trigger by God's grace. Amen. And uh, uh, and I thought, how much patience and, and, and what it takes to put on that uniform. I personally, uh, in my life, I had to make a decision as a 16-year-old boy. I wanted to be a Marine. Just that was my dream. And uh, it soon became apparent that it would be better for both uh, the Marine Corps and and myself that uh, that union never uh, was consummated, and uh, uh, the uh, thing is the uh, one of the things I, I just couldn't understand the big E at the top of the chart disappeared in the fifth grade. Probably not a good thing to give me a gun on a battlefield. Amen. Uh, as long as my glasses were on, we'd be okay. But if anything ever happened, I wouldn't know who or what I was shooting at. So. Better to serve where God has put you. Amen? But we need to honor, we need to respect those men and women. And one of the things that is so tragic, as you think of all those that have given their lives, many of them, uh, we would say if statistics hold true, the vast majority of them never knew the Savior of this book. And this is the only hope for mankind. And yet, we are still free today because of the sacrifice of those men. And we think of the, as I said, we tried to start the thought a few moments ago. We think of the stories of the great generals like MacArthur and go back to the revolution, George Washington. But I'll tell you what my thought is today. My, my thoughts with the four men on the march to Trenton that snowy Christmas Eve, that rather than disobey the orders of General Washington to break silence, they froze to death because they didn't have proper clothing and proper equipment to keep them warm in the terrible uh, 
thing of that night. We don't know any of their names. I, I don't believe anyone knows. But those were the four main casualties in the American side. We, as far as we know, they have no marked graves. Someone probably came and buried them in the wilderness. Little, probably part of a major city today between Trenton, and, I mean between uh, Valley Forge and Trenton. There, I've often asked this question: How many of you could name just one name? And I'm sure somebody would say, Private Ryan. Uh, He wasn't a real person. That was just made up for the movie. It was based on the life of a real person, yes. But I think of the untold stories. And men who didn't especially feel loved or cared for. Uh, I heard a little article today, I think 60 Minutes tonight. Now, if you stay home and watch 60 Minutes instead of being in church, shame on you. Amen. But uh, they're doing a special on the Bataan Death March. And they've actually um, managed to locate one of the veterans and going to have him on the uh, show tonight. But I'll tell you what, the men who made that march didn't feel very loved and very comforted. They, they felt abandoned and uh, forsaken by this country, and yet they died, and their deaths are part of the reason why we're free from the tyranny of the fascists, the dictators, those who believe that it's their right to tell us everything, every thought we should think, everything we should do. And if I can just get a little political for a moment, then I go to the people who want to tell us what kind of sodas to drink and what kind of food to eat. And you almost wonder, what did they fight for? Years ago, they had a radio show on, and uh, it was one of those guys talking about American history. And and, and, uh, we got a phone call from the radio station here at the church, and and they said, we want you to listen and, and call in with a, with a good call. And so I uh, listened and I, I thought there was a good point to be made. And uh, I, I asked, actually got on the air and asked the guy the question, what do you think George Washington would think if he were alive today? Hoping that the man would take uh, that, that idea and, and he said he'd turn over in his grave. And I said, okay, tell me something we don't know. I mean... Wait a minute. So we come up, and, and here's the question I'd like to deal with today in our sermon time. How are we that fear the Lord God of heaven to live in a society that has despised and refused him? You see, the question is not... So much how we should honor the sacrifice of those that gave. Because the greatest honor you can give to those who sacrificed their lives is to keep the freedoms that they died for. To keep them strong. To keep the truth alive. And not everyone understood or was necessarily in agreement with what they were fighting for. But we look here in the book of Malachi, and I just want to read verses 16 and 17. Then I want to pick up the context here. Chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him, For them that feared the Lord and that thought upon His name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, I will spare them. As a man spareth his own son, 
that serveth him. Look at verse 18 as well. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Now, Malachi is one of those... uh, Little books, it's the last book in your Old Testament. Uh, in fact, if you want to Google Malachi, the, enti- the Italian prophet, it will come up on the Google search. Uh, no, he was Hebrew, and it's not Malachi, it's Malachi. And uh, his testimony was about 400 years before Jesus was born. He was the man that actually closed the door on the Old Testament, put the period on God's revelation to the nation of Israel until the Messiah should come. And if you'll read through the book of Malachi, you'll find out it wasn't a a very nice time to live. In fact, we'll just take a few moments here and let's just get a a quick review here. Let's go to Malachi chapter 1. And chapter 1 deals basically with the people of Israel. In verse 6, God starts out and says, A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If I then be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts. O priest that despise my name, and ye that say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Do you get what Malachi is saying here? In his prophecy, he, he is condemning those that have despised the name of the Lord, and he rebukes them because he says, You don't even understand what you've done. Well, I'll tell you what, I talk to some people about American history, and it's like, you you... We don't even live in the same country. I mean, we live in the same geographical space, but you have, you have no clue. And we, we live with people who say, oh yes, I honor God. I, I love Him. I remember years ago we had a, a young lady, she says, when, when I open up my heart to God, heavy metal music comes out of my soul. And I had to look at that smiling young face and say, I, you need to understand something. If when you open your heart to God, that's what comes out. You're worshiping the wrong God. It's not the God of the Bible. Not only in the day of Malachi was there a misunderstanding, not only was there a disregard for God... There was a complete lack of knowledge of even how they had done this. They had no no understanding at all. Skip down with me, Wood, uh, to to verse twelve here. It says, "But ye have profaned it, uh, in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible." Now that word profane. We, we normally think of cursing. And uh, what it simply means is, is to make common. It's not to use uh, uh, the most common profanity here in the United States today is, Oh my God. And Jesus this, and God this, and gee whiz, and all of these different forms... Of the, nation, of, of the names of God, what you're doing is you are making them profane. You're making them common. You're making them equal, everyday words. People use the word damnation as a profane word. Do you realize that that term belongs only in the jurisprudence of God himself? No human agency. I don't care what the Pope says. He cannot condemn you to hell. He cannot give you salvation. He cannot take it away. Those things belong only to God. And yet, we have church in bar rooms today. 
Because we want to meet people where they are. I, I want to tell you, the days of Malachi sound an awful lot like today. Do they not? They profaned. They made it common. And then in verse 13, he said also, Behold, what a weariness it is. And he had snuffed at it. I wish I had a dollar for everyone that would... Oh, well, I believe in God, but you know that church thing, boy, that's pretty tough. Well, this is a holiday weekend. You're supposed to be at rest. Well, where are you? You're at church. Where where you're supposed to be. And, And it shouldn't be a weariness. It shouldn't be a sacrifice. But that's where the people were. It, it, they, they were tired of serving God. You get to chapter 2, and it's in verse 1, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. Now, you better be careful when... Uh, the prophet calls your name or the group that you're in. And, and chapter 2 is spent about the priest. He tells them in verse 2 that they have no heart for what they're doing. They're, they're just going through the things. In verse 8, he says, But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord's of hosts. You get down to verse 14, and God says, You've dealt treacherously with the wife of thy youth. You've, you've not lived according to the Bible. You're just living for yourself. And it's summed up in chapter 17. It, it, God says, Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, Wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord... And he delighteth in them. Or where is the God of judgment? That that was the priest. The people had profaned the table of the Lord. They were tired of it. The priest were calling evil good and good evil. Chapter 3 is God's cure. Behold, verse 1, I will send my messenger. And he shall prepare the way before me. Get down to verse 8. And Malachi asked the question, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. And you come down to verse 10. And, and God says, Prove me. God said, Listen, people. You want a cure? Just start doing what's right. And then let's set the context for the verses we want to look in in particular. Verse 13, Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, What have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy, yea, thou, they that work wickedness are set up, yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. And chapter 4 is the promise of the future. For behold, the day cometh, that shall burn as an oven. And, of course, if you know your Bible very well, that is talking about the day of the Lord, which has yet to come. And and the book ends with the promise that he's going to send Elijah. And, of course, we know that that Elijah came in the person of John the Baptist to turn the hearts, look what it says here, the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 
And so, this is the context. Now, the question is, what is the application for us today? Number one, I want us to go back to verse 15, I mean 16. It says, in spite of all that was going on, in spite of the corrupt priest, in spite of the nation having turned from God, there were still people there that feared the Lord. Can you say amen to that? When is the last uh, you hear? Uh, everybody is doing it. How many of you have heard that? Could I challenge you today that that is a simple lie? Because everybody ain't doing it. Amen? And I put ain't in there on purpose just to see how many people would smile to hear that word. But the, the simple truth is, in Malachi's day, in our day, everybody wasn't going along with the crowd. The historians who study these things tell us that during the American Revolution, that only one-third of the population of the colonies were actually for and involved in, to a certain, to, to a degree, the cause of freedom. And that another third of the population was just as involved in keeping the king. And guess where the other third were? They were in the I don't care crowd. I'm on your side when you're in charge. I'm on their side when they're in charge. And you know what our modern historians want to do? They want to go back and rewrite the whole history of the battle for freedom based on the third that didn't care. The third that were more concerned over their uh, stores and their personal income than they were for either the king or the cause of freedom. You know why? Because that's where the modern day historians find themselves. The only thing they care about is me. And so don't listen to the modern historians. If, if you want uh, to get some good books on American history, uh, if you have a little uh, e-reader or an app on your phone or something, uh, I've, I've collected probably 30 or 40 books. Uh, we'll try to run them off on a thumb drive and give them to you uh, if we can. And uh, uh, they're free books. People have digitized them. You don't have to own the paper, and in fact, most of them aren't in print anymore. Uh, but you'll, you'll learn some things that are absolutely amazing. Like that George Washington was a man of prayer and faith in God. Uh, actually, that, that was not a bad thing in 1876 when they were writing books for the centennial of this country. Do, do some research there. It, it's not hard. But I want you to know that in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus made a promise to his church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. By the way, that includes the Republicans and and the Democrats uh, and the Socialists and whatever other isterism you want to put in there, the church of Jesus survived the persecutions of Nero, and people like to make a big deal about him. But how about Diocletian, who wiped out entire areas, raised them to the ground because there were Christians there? Uh, there were some severe persecutions, yet those that feared the Lord survived and thrived and have continued down even unto this day. Just because it looks like everybody is doesn't mean you have to join them. Could we say amen to that? 
But you'll notice that those that feared the Lord kind of stuck together. It says, then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. Now, I'm not ashamed of being a Baptist preacher. The Baptist church did not exist in Matthew chapter, uh, Malachi chapter 3. It was started by Jesus Christ about 400 or so years later. But isn't that the place where we who live today that fear the Lord are supposed to talk to one another? In church. Isn't that what Jesus designed His church to be? A place for you to come out of the world and to talk. What do people who fear the Lord talk about? Oh, how bad it is out there. No. They talk about the Lord. They talk about what He's doing in their lives today. They talk about how to serve the Lord even when no one else is serving the Lord. Because that's not true. Because they're there assembled together talking about it. Amen? Uh, in fact, let's take our Bibles and... Uh, uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, if you would. And, and this is a verse preachers like, and, and we quote it often. And um, uh, why don't we uh, actually just back up a few verses, and, and I want to be uh, careful not to take too much time today, but uh, let's go back to verse 23 of chapter 10. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Does that sound like those that fear the Lord talking to one another? It sure does to me. You see, that's one of the things that's one of our themes around here is the Bible is its own best commentary. If you really want to understand what that means, read other passages of the Bible that talk about the same thing. And these are the things that we're supposed to be doing in church. Hold fast your profession. I got saved the old-fashioned way. By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. The same way Peter got saved. Amen. The same way the Apostle Paul got saved. The same way anyone who has ever been saved got saved. Don't let the world modify your faith in Christ. That's what this whole purpose-driven life movement is about. You see, the purpose of the Bible is only one. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't go home and read The Purpose-Driven Life, because I'll tell you what, I've never read the book, nor will I ever read the book, and here's why. I've had too many men that I used to call friends in the ministry who have read that book and have changed their mind about cardinal truths in this book called the Bible. And if they can be deceived, I can be deceived. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the tasting. I've never met one person living by the things in the purpose-driven life who were Anywhere near what the Bible talks about. Because it teaches you how to seek what is in your own heart. And Jeremiah settled that question long before the first word in our New Testament was written. The heart is 
deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You do not want God to give you what's in your heart. You want God to give you what's in His heart. That's why those that fear His name must talk to one another and must fellowship together. And Jesus said that that fellowship is to be so close that we're to be members one of another in His body, which is the local assembly of the believers. Am I in the right church this morning? The air conditioning's not on. Could, could we have an amen for that? Flip over a page or so in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 13. See, back in Malachi, it says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You know, that is one of the things, if I can just take this. It says, the Lord will hearken. The Lord will listen. Wasn't it Jesus that said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there will I be in the midst. You know, I'm one of the most misquoted and misapplied verses in all the Bible. Uh, Read the context. That's talking about a church service. You don't have to have a lot of people to have church. But if you're going to have church, you've got to have the right purpose. That's Jesus. Amen. Uh, you've got to have the right organization. It's not just a group of people sitting in a circle pulling their ignorance. They're, they're supposed to be a preacher. There's supposed to be truth that is taught. There's supposed to be an understanding of that truth and a change in people's lives so that the work that Jesus wants us to do, can be carried out. Amen? It says the Lord will hearken. He's going to listen. He is my helper. You know, one of the things that has been a characteristic of American fighting on foreign soil is that we have not shared in the fear of our allies. In World War One, they would give the command to go up out of the trench, and it was called going over the top. And they would say that more often, not more often than not, but many occasions, they would be given that command, and they would the soldiers would start climbing those short little ladders to get up into the no man's land, and one of them would fall back, and his face would be covered with blood and no visible wounds. The trauma and the fear of having to accomplish that literally burst the capillaries in the skin and would cover a man with blood and no visible injury. We have stories of individuals. And the reason there are stories in American history is because they're so rare, who were afraid and would not go. What wasn't the story was all the ones that did go. There's one cemetery there in the... Um, where the Battle of Bella Wood happened. Just one little skirmish in World War I. Thousands and thousands of American Marines and soldiers are buried there. And here's what the Germans said. They said that they were fighting. They said, these guys won't stop. They just keep coming. In fact... They, they were picking off Germans at 300 yards 
on a regular basis. And they called the, the Marines that fought in that battle, they called them devil dogs because they, they were just uh, like the stories of the demons that wouldn't stop fighting. Of course, that was kind of strange coming from the people who had started the whole thing. Now, on that. But that, that's history. You've got to take it where it is. They didn't know how to describe the fearless spirit of those. And, and here's what the Bible says. We don't need to be afraid. You ought to read the story of Sergeant Alvin York. Captured 132 men all by himself. And when they asked him about it, what did he say? He said, well, I rightly can't give an account for all them. They were kind of busy guarding the prisoners and trying to keep themselves alive, so I just had to do what I did. Kind of like that. And Sergeant York, not only was our greatest hero, but he was a great Christian and a preacher of this book called the... That's what he did after the war. He went back and took the message of this book to his people who lived up in the hills and the hollers of Tennessee. You see, we don't need to be afraid. But I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, if you would. Because it says that the Lord hearkened and that the Lord caused a book to be written Not for himself, but for them. I want to read the words carefully here. The Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him, before the Lord, for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. The Lord wrote a book. And in that book, he put the deeds and the names and the behaviors of those that chose to fear his name and to think upon him in a day when, could rightly be said, nobody else was doing it. Everybody else was doing their own thing. But these people were fearing the Lord. They were thinking on his name. And God put their names down in a book. Now, I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, if you would. And this is a promise and a thing that we need to think about today in time. If we're going to ask the question how we are to live in a society that has forgotten, despised, rejected the truths of this book called the Bible, number one, we've got to realize that God's people are still here. And we're supposed to talk about them. We're supposed to talk about them to each other. Amen? We're supposed to be reminded of the things that are in this book called the Bible. And we're to talk about those things that are in our lives to other people to try to help them understand that they can fear the Lord as well. But we come here and in verse 7, uh, let's read verse 16 as well. It says, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You know, You look at that promise, that's a promise in the Bible. How many adults I've met over the years in counseling situations that have not maybe said so outwardly, but have certainly intimated the idea that they wish they could just lay down all the troubles of this life and be a little kid and sit on dad's lap again. Or mourning the fact that they never had that kind of affection as they grew up. And my challenge has always been the same. No matter what you didn't have growing up in this life, as an adult, this promises to me. If I will only lay down the unclean things of this world, if I will stop trying to join the world and influence the world and move the world 
and start concentrating on the Savior, He says, He'll receive me. And I'll get to be His little boy. And you'll get to be His little boy or little girl. I'll tell you one thing I'm not looking forward to is my little boys are just getting too big or my lap is getting too small, one of the two. Now, the grandbabies still fit. That's not a problem. But they're they're not the same as your own kids. They're different. Because when anything goes bad, you just give them back to mom and dad and say, that's your problem now. But... I'm uh, uh, Joey and Jason. They still one on each knee, and boy, I mean, it's just it's uh, you add them both together, and they're 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 making up more than half of me now, and uh, that's that's getting there. And so the 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 simple truth is, we never have to lose that with the Lord. He says He's going to claim us. When he gathers his jewels, he's looking for people to pick and say, this one's mine. If you want to look at the book of Job in a very different light, I'll put it this way. God was using the suffering of Job to slap down the devil. He really was. The only problem was he never told Job what was going on. And so Job got his eyes off of God for a moment and started looking at all he was going through and began to accuse God of being a little less than good. And Job got himself in trouble, didn't he? And you know, we'll do the same thing if we're not careful. God is looking for people that he can pick and say, this one's mine in spite of all that was going on in the world. Now, what is that last part? Let's go back to to Malachi one more time, and we're almost done here. It says, then, verse 18, Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. I want you to... Look at one more passage with me and we'll tie this thing together and be done in just a few minutes. Revelation chapter 3, if you would. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 9. It says that we are going to see God's challenge to the children of Israel in the book of Malachi. He says, they that feared the Lord, they talked to one another. The Lord hearkened. He wrote a book of remembrance, not for the Lord, but so that he could encourage all of those that still feared the Lord. That's part of what our Bible's about. Amen. And then he said, You're going to see the end. You're going to return. You're going to be able to discern the difference. Sometimes I've had people ask, Pastor, why do we have to be so strict? Why why can't we be just like the others? I mean, is everybody else wrong? No, it's not a question of who's right and who's wrong. It's a question that this is right. And when you disagree with this, you're wrong. That's, that's, that is the issue. Now, look what he says to the church at Philadelphia here in verse 9. He says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know... What's that last phrase there? That I have loved You know, one of the problems people have today is they try to give affection to other people, but they don't know how to receive it. And God says, listen, I want you to know 
He says, I'll be a father to you. You're going to be my sons and daughters. Here he says, I want my church to know that I've loved you. Could I challenge you that this is a link that will take us back to 1 John chapter 5? And in 1 John chapter 5, it tells us that we, that the love of God is this. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat... That's God the Father, loveth him also that is begotten of him, God the Son. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth? That Jesus is the Son of God. If you're here today and you're saved, you've called upon the name of the Lord and asked Him to save you. Could we say amen to that? You have understood God's love that He gave His only begotten Son, that He died on the cross, and if you'll believe on Jesus, you can have eternal life. Amen? If we return that love to God, if we accept God's love, then what are we going to do? Keep His commandments. Isn't that right? And if we keep His commandments, guess what we do? We love those that are around us. It is the natural result. And when... We have finally shown the end of all things. We're going to understand just how much obeying God's commandments was His love to us. See, sometimes it's hard to do what's right. It's hard to lay down the things of the world. It's hard to do... Well, you can join the gainsayers in the book of Malachi. You can profane the table of the Lord. You can say what a weariness it is. There are many preachers that have laid down the truth trying to uh, uh, make people... I like what Brother Clayton has, has said over the years. He said, Pete, I'll tell you how to fill the building up every week. He just says, stand at the back door. And as soon as somebody comes through, shake their hand and say, you're right. He said, if you'll do that, you'll fill the place up. And that's what's going on today in many places called church. But you know what we're going to do here? We're going to fear the Lord. And we're going to talk about it. And we're going to try to live it. And God says, I'm watching. And I'm writing it down. Not for my sake, because I never forget anything. But for your sake. Because I'm going, to be, I'm going to take eternity to come to prove why you were my special child. He says, I'm going to make you know and understand how much I have loved you. I'll tell you what. When I got married, a dear friend of ours, my wife will remember this. He, he said, listen, he says, you think you know what love is, but wait till you've been married ten years. And it was ten years later, and I saw Brother Phil Clayton somewhere, and I said, Phil, you were right. Ten years. He says, wait till it's 25. It's going to take all eternity for you to comprehend how much God has loved you in this life. That's what eternity is supposed to be about. If we do not remember what God has done, we're going to join the wrong side of the book of Malachi. But if we'll remember those things, 
By the way, it holds true for our country too now, doesn't it? Just because everybody else thinks that we ought to trust government instead of God doesn't mean that we're going to start trusting government instead of God. We're going to trust God. Uh, I like what uh, Ronald Reagan said. Government is a necessary... Well, actually, I think it was Thomas Jefferson. Government is a necessary evil. And uh, that's true. But what we're going to do is be faithful. And so if you see one of those service personnel walking down the street, don't salute them because you're not in military uniform, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's not proper. But if you'll tell them thank you for your service or just thank you, that's all you need to do. They didn't join because they wanted people to say thank you. But it doesn't hurt, now does it? And you know what? As we're serving the Lord together, it doesn't hurt to encourage one another in the things of God. Even on a holiday weekend, be in church. We'll be faithful. Because the Lord's taking note. And all God's people say, Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we want to thank you for your love. And Lord, we want to thank you that it's going to take all eternity first to even begin to comprehend how great it is. But Lord, help us today to talk about these things, to live in these things. To be willing to be separated from this wicked world in which we live. And Lord, to understand that even though we don't understand, one day we really will. And we'll trust you until we're there with you in heaven. Help us, Lord. Encourage us to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.